may have a seat. The year was 1944, and it was the World War II, the European campaign, Far Eastern campaign. And there was a historical fact that I came across some time ago, and it really intrigued my heart. There was a Japanese lieutenant that was sent and commissioned to stand his post and defend the Japanese interest in some remote island of the Philippines, Lubang. And he went there and he gave himself, dedicated himself to fight this war. He lived in the jungles, survived on coconuts, bananas, and just very, very little subsistence, always being ready for his country to call upon his service. And month after month, year after year, he continued to stay there. 1944, he was commissioned there. And he emerged out of the deep jungles of the Philippines in 1972 only to discover the, long had been wo long, the war had been long over. And I read that historical fact and I thought about that man and how he lived his life and how he lived his life under a delusion that he was fighting a war that was no longer going on. How many believers like that lieutenant continue to live their life trying to fight something when the war has already been decided. Thanks be unto God who always call, who gives us the victory. You and I did not inherit a battle, we inherited a victory. We did. We inherited a victory. You see in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 when God spoke, and I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed. And you shall bruise his heel and he shall bruise or crush your head. It was a declaration of war in Genesis. God declared war over the enemy of our soul. That there was going to come a decisive act that would once and forever destroy his, his counsel and absolutely be the decisive blow that would give us the victory. And what was declared in Genesis chapter 315, 2,000 years ago, when the captain of our salvation cried from a cross and said, it is finished. I want you to know what was declared 4,000 years earlier was won at Mount Calvary. Can you say amen? And God wants us to emerge and to live like, like you and I believe the war is over. And we have been anointed to walk in victory and to enforce that victory through the proclamation of this glorious gospel. Come on, can you say amen? amen. Turn to your neighbor and said, we are victorious. It doesn't mean that we will not be without challenge. It just means that you and I engage every challenge from a victorious viewpoint. I don't have to do anything but believe and allow what God's work to what God has done let that work be deeply rooted within my heart you see the fact is every life is lived out of the sense of personal identity the vain efforts of religion is that it engages in behavioral modification. 
It concentrates and emphasizes the actions of people. And it is a futile and vain effort, I should say a vain effort in futility, because the fact is it doesn't really change the life. That's why when God works in a human heart, He begins with identity. And out of the sense of identity, that will determine our actions. Come on, if you believe that you're poor, you're going to live poor. If you believe you're defeated, you're going to live a victim. But if you could ever become convinced that He calls you son, if you could ever become convinced you have been accepted in the beloved, if you could ever become convinced that it's not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit, and that what I have in Christ far exceeds what I had in Adam. Come on now. And that He's given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. How many know you're going to approach life differently? You're going to walk differently. You're going to pray differently. It'll change how you believe. It'll change how you pray. It'll change how you face mountains. It'll change how you face the issues in life. From a vantage point that He has changed my identity. I truly believe that, you see, what we need to understand is that there is a scripture in the Bible that really means so much. It says, it says so much. It says in Galatians 4 and verse 1, hear this verse. It says that the heir differeth nothing than a slave, though he be lord of all, so long as he is a child. In other words, it is costly to remain immature. The heir will live like a slave, though he's lord of all. Come on now. As long as he is a child. And so the enemy would just love us to stay in our infantile understandings. Come on. Of what the Bible says, because as long as you remain immature, he'll get you to live life like a slave. But the moment you grow up in him and understand and grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, come on, then you're going to walk like an inheritor. You're going to walk like a beneficiary of what he has done. Can you say amen? Amen. You see, I've learned that there are certain mindsets that are required in our life that we could talk about God working in our heart, and that's where it must start. But somehow what's done here must transform here. So you can love God. I've said this before. You could be saved, but you could be miserably saved. And think that all your joy is going to come somehow when you get to heaven or somewhere along the line in the sweet by and by. Why? Because the journey, the 18-inch journey of what transacted here hasn't changed what's going on up here. And so this morning, by the Word of God, let's give ourselves to the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that God might begin to make some adjustments up here. Because as you thinketh, so you are. And you're going to live your life according, not to here, according to what goes on up here. Can you say amen? amen. Somebody say, Lord, change my mind. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. I'd like you to take your Bible out this morning. 
It is an honor and privilege to be here preaching in the Life Church. And I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Samuel. Chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. I want to speak to you for a little while today out of the life of David. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 10. And David went on and grew great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. Say that with me. And David went on and grew great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. Some time ago, the Lord really illuminated this single verse. I read it many, 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 many times. In fact, it was actually highlighted and underlined in my Bible from times before. But I know what the Lord breathed into me concerning the verse was uh, just an insight and understanding that was uh, fresh about the verse. This one verse, when I read it, and I was reading through some of Second Samuel, the Lord told me when I read that verse, and David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. The Lord told me, he said, this is the singular commentary that describes the entirety of David's life. This one verse is the key. It is the key that will get you from where you are to where God's called you to be. It is the key that God, David, from the anointing oil to the throne of destiny. It is the key that will get you from your prophetic beginning to your prophetic fulfillment. There is a journey in between. Can you say amen? When the children of Israel were about to come out of Egypt, for 400 years they were carriers of a promise. God told Abraham, he said for 400 years, he said, your seed will go into Egypt. They will be afflicted. But after 400 years, I will bring them out. So year after year, decade after decade, Abraham being long gone, all they had was this prophecy to pass on to the next generation. Because what happened was, as they went in Egypt and grew, they became an afflicted people. There was those that were coming to the throne and they were building an empire and they really were nothing more than a workforce. But yet they were pregnant with prophetic destiny. This was the seed of Abraham. And yet all they can encourage each other as they labored in the hot Egyptian sun is God said, one day we're coming out of here. God told our father Abraham and the prophecy went from fathers to sons and from sons to their sons and the centuries. And then there came a day when it was time to come out. Can you say amen? And so God raised up Moses. And when God was about to bring them out, you know the story, and how God instructed them to take a lamb that was without blemish, and they were to, they were to slit the neck of the lamb, and they were to catch the blood in a basin, and then take the blood, put it on a doorpost, all of this speaking of the Lamb of God, all of this speaking of the precious blood of Jesus, come on now, that protects us and that guards us 
from trouble and judgment that was going to come upon the land. How many thank God for the blood? Amen? Thank God for the blood. He is the Lamb of God. But when God spoke to them about the Passover, which they were going to celebrate and then come out because they had to eat with their garment, uh, with their coat on. They had to eat with their staff in their hand. In other words, God expected them to eat the lamb, but the strength they'd get from the lamb was for the purpose of a journey. It was not just to enjoy the benefits of a nice lamb dinner. The reason why God has come into your life and Jesus has entered your life is to give you strength for the journey. Can you say amen? A journey unto maturity. A journey to fulfill His will. But then He said these words. I feel this is a word for somebody here. If it's not for all of us, it certainly is for somebody. God told Moses in Exodus chapter 12, This day, someone say this day, This day shall be the beginning of months for you. In other words, God stepped in. God who created time. God lives above time. And He created time. He stepped into their time and says, I know you've been in affliction for 400 years, but today I just changed your calendar. God says, today is going to be a new calendar for you. Wow. Today is going to be a new day. He said, I don't want you to keep referring to the old calendar. He said, I'm bringing you on out of bondage into a new place. Don't bring the old calendar into the new place. Don't re Come on now. Stop referring to the trouble of the old calendar. Today is a new calendar. Glory to God. Today is a new calendar. And see, the children of Israel never did it. And every time they ran into problems, they kept referring back to the old calendar. And as a result, they never entered fully into what God wanted to bring. And I see this happen all the time. God's people, they don't fully go where God wants them to go, become what God wants them to become, because they bring old calendars with them into their progress and into their journey. Throw away the old calendar. Behold, I make all things new. Can you say amen? And David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. One of the things we must never forget is that there are certain mindsets that are needed. It says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 about those in Berea that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with readiness of mind. Not just believing hearts, readiness of mind. How about Philippians 4? Paul said, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be known to God, and the peace of God which passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ. Now listen to this. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if they or they produce virtue and produce praise, if they're praiseworthy, think on these things. Paul gave the church a spiritual grid. He says, you need to test your thoughts. And if these thoughts are true, if they are honest, if they produce virtue in your life, 
If they were praiseworthy, keep them. If not, get rid of them. I remember when we, this uh, an illustration concerning this boy. When we moved from the Bronx, I was 11 years old, and uh, my folks had built a, a new house uh, out on the eastern part of Long Island. And uh, we'd go out and visit that house, and I mean, all you saw were just trees and open space and uh, just Long Island uh, as it was back then compared to the city. And I'll never forget, my dad just couldn't wait to have a nice lawn. You know, we're going to have this nice, we didn't have, we didn't have any lawn where we, were, where we were moving from. And so we're going to have this nice lawn. You know, none of this rye grass, we're going to have Kentucky blue grass, I remember that. And so, you know, we're getting all ready. What do you do to have a new lawn with a new house? Everything was just new. And uh, so dad took some time off. And I remember he said, we're going we're gonna to prepare the lawn. And so we went to the local hardware store and we're, we're getting tools we never needed in the Bronx, pitchforks and uh, rakes. And, you know, we did away with the guns and the knives and we got the pitchforks. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. Edit that. <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, so we get, you know, we, Long Island tools, you know. And so he said, all right. So he said, we're going to go out there. You know, now, I don't know if it was just he wanted to get the feel of it. But I found out that they have these electric things like called rototillers. But you don't want to do that. So we're going to put that pitchfork in, turn it. He, and I'll never forget. He said, you know, Philip, I'll tell you what we're going to do. He kept saying we. But I was the one that was going <laughs> to... And then we had, I, I, he built something with a two-by-fours, and it was a grid, you know, with small, a small little wire mesh. That's what it was. And you put that over a wheelbarrow. And, you know, everything looked good to me. And it's like when he started showing that pitchfork, I thought, well, why can't we just throw the seed and get done with this thing? But, no, we had to turn it over, mix it with peat moss. Well, that's when I learned, when I put that pitchfork in there, that's when I learned... Everything that doesn't make it on that house, you know, what the, you know what the contractors do? They bury it in that lawn. Man, I had two-by-fours. I had nails, shingles, right? It looks good on the surface. It's like a lot of people. They look good on the surface. A lot of junk just below the surface. You wonder why they're not fruitful, not growing. But if we would have just thrown seed, we would have had patchy grass, but the roots would not be able to go deep. Got to do this. Got to turn things over. So, oh my goodness, we turn it over. Then we had a shovel. And then you take the dirt and you throw it on the mesh. And when you throw it on the mesh, everything that makes it through the mesh is topsoil. And everything that doesn't make it through the mesh is garbage. So you got to throw it out. You know what Paul is giving us? Mesh. If the thought can't fit into a good report, if the thought can fit and, and meet the criteria of being true, doesn't matter how you feel, is it true? If the thought doesn't fit through the mesh of virtue, if the thought doesn't fit through the, ver the, the mesh of praise, it's not topsoil, it's garbage. You've got to throw it out. Now, I'm telling you, you need to understand that we've got to do this if we're going to go on. We're going to go on. Now, and David went on. Hmm. David. What a life. 
Now, David is a man to me. I know he was king and all, and he certainly prophetically speaks of Jesus. I mean, even blind men that need sight, when they hear Jesus is passing, will yell, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The angel announced, and that his father will give unto him the throne, the Lord shall give unto the throne of his father David. You can't even open up your Bible in the New Testament. Verse 1, the book of the genealogies of Jesus Christ. The son, of, the, son, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is forever identified with David. He is David. He's the son of David, but he is prophetically, David speaks of Christ. But along and aside from that, just as an individual, David is the most universally identifiable, relatable characters in all the Bible. I don't care what you're facing, you could relate to David. You could be on the mountaintop of glory, and David was there. You can be in the very pit of uh, surrounded by the enemy, and David was there. David is so relatable that most people, whether they want to celebrate or they need comfort, they're going to go to the Psalms. That's David's book. David wrote, How long, Lord? How long, Lord? And the same David also said, And the Lord shall exalt my horn above my enemies. He knows the mountaintops and he knows the valleys. He's had to follow God in his journey through all those places. But my Bible says that this young boy that was anointed and had promise made it successfully into the throne. You know why? And David went on. He faced a lot of challenges just like you are. Maybe even this morning, like I said. You could be facing something that is beyond your wisdom, beyond your resource, beyond what you could ever imagine. Or maybe you would think if you would allow your mind, if you would allow one of those thoughts to get through the mesh... You could even think, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I, I, I understand that. But I'm going to tell you something. This verse is the remedy David went on. It speaks of a disposition. Many times life brings us things that we would have never certainly invited. And we would have never encountered. Things we felt so unprepared for. Isn't that true? We may call it curveballs. We may call it things that blindside us. We were believing for one thing and we got the other. Come on. If you're just starting out in this journey, get the CD and keep it. One day this will make sense to you. If you've been on this journey in the wild, give me a high five. Somebody give me a, yeah, okay, all right. You understand what I'm talking about. There are delays that you never entertained you'd have to wait out, right? Hurdles you'd never considered you'd have to cross, and certainly there are mountains you never dreamed you'd ever face. Mountains where you can't even see the summit. The shadow of the challenge looms over your life where it blocks out the sun 
of understanding. And you find yourself in the darkness of a challenge. Oh yes. Anybody that has ever heard a gospel that says that you'll never have to face that or preaches a gospel that says you'll never is a false preacher preaching a false gospel. This gospel is not about pie in the sky when you die. And it's not about you living on easy street. It's about equipping you how to overcome life's harshest battles. This gospel is about equipping overcomers. Even Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, I want to talk about several tests that David had to face that could have been potential stopping points for his life. The first test is I call the test of rejection. And if you look in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, And it came to pass when they were come that he, the prophet Samuel, looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now I'm reading from 1 Samuel 16 and it's the story of Samuel being sent to Jesse's house. Samuel was weeping because Saul had defected and Saul was a man he anointed. Sometimes we could weep over things we anoint that doesn't turn out the way we anticipated. And But Saul was weeping, Samuel was weeping a little too long because Samuel was one of those prophets that not one word fell to the ground. When you got a word from Samuel, that one you're going to plaster on the wall. This is not some little prophet in the making. This is a man you could take it to the bank when he says, thus saith the Lord. And so here he is weeping as a prophet, not understanding, feeling the remorse of the demise of Saul when he prophesied a glorious opportunity and life for the king. I believe that Samuel was just feeling the depth of feeling even maybe somewhat responsible or wondering what all this is about when God interrupts his thoughts. And says, "Go. how long will you mourn concerning Saul? Sometimes we cry about things that don't work out a little too long. He said, anoint your horn with oil and get to Jesse's house because I'm about to anoint something new. Oh, I felt God in that. I'm about to anoint something. Somebody here has got to stop crying about what you've been crying about too long. One of the things that will prevent you from walking through new doors that are before you is staring at the old door behind you too long. Stop staring at a door that's closed behind you too long. It's closed. Turn around and look at the possibilities of what's before you. Couldn't you say amen? You say, but I don't understand. Oh, well, that's all right. You've got to trust. You may never understand. I guarantee you this. I've learned that many times my life doesn't make sense until I'm in the next season. When I'm in the next season, ah, then I look at what I went through. I said, now I understand why I went through what I went through. But when I try to make sense of everything that's going on with where I am, I'm going to waste time. You just got to go on and trust God. Now, he was rejected, and so here's the buzz. Samuel gets a word from God. He's going to go to Jesse's house. 
Jesse says, oh my God, the prophet's coming. He asked the prophet, are you coming peaceably? You know, are we okay here? He said, I'm fine. You're fine. Everybody's fine. God sent me here to anoint the king. Now you think about that. Think about the buzz in Jesse's house. Think about the servant. Say, hey, do you hear what's going on? You know, Jesse told us, we got to get us uh, the best calf. We're going to get, we got the preacher in the house. We, we got we to make sure everything's clean. The prophet Samuel's here. Heard that he's going to anoint the king here. And I can imagine Eliab and Shammah and the brother said, Hey, I heard dad said, we can't go out. You were going to go out tonight. You better change those plans. He said, we're going to have dinner with the prophet. He's got a word for the house. Somebody is going to be selected king. And Eliab probably cleared his throat and said, I think it's my prophecy. I think my day has come. This is what I've been waiting for. Shama probably said, oh, you always think it's you. I kind of think it's going to happen to me. And you could just hear the brothers. Man, they're just excited. And they're going on. And then there's this little ruddy-faced brother. His name is David. And David is out in the field. And David sees and hears. And you can feel the excitement. And David comes up to his brother. Lying. Man, what's going on? Everybody seems to be excited. Shama took a shower. He hadn't taken a shower in three weeks. What's going on here? Oh, he said, well, David, he said, you know, the prophet Samuel, is that our house? The prophet Samuel? Is that our house? Oh, yeah. He's come because he's got a word. And he said, there's a king that's coming out of this household. Wow. Okay. Well, what should I do? Well, you don't need to do anything, David. Just stay in the field. It's not about you. The entire family's excited. They're going to meet with the prophet, but... David, you just stay where you are because it has nothing to do with you. Did you ever feel like you were left out? Did you ever feel like you got a call of God and nobody's discovering it? I'm telling you, you're going to have to pass a rejection test. Did you ever feel like God has overlooked you? Come on. Right where you are. And you're doing everything and going through all kinds of spiritual calisthenics to try to get God's attention. I've got news for you. He already, his eye is on you when you're sleeping. That's what the Bible says. Some people waste their years, literally, proving to try to prove themselves because of a rejection they experienced in years past. In fact, I know a man that admittedly says, I can never stop. He's driven and he works and he can never entertain rest because his father was convinced he'd never amount to anything and his father's been dead over 50 years. Yeah, it's true. And he's almost like trying to prove to a man in the grave that I could do it. And many times we could allow that and the rejection, whether it come from man, parent, husband, wife, somebody that's meaningful, and, and we experience that, and we can allow that to be a driving force. I've got a word for you. Don't worship at the altar of your rejection. It was only an opinion. Don't let it become a monument in your life. The good news is, is that God has chosen you. See, remember I said, we got to let it get in here. It does not, David said, I will not fear what man can do unto me. It doesn't matter who rejects me, who accepts me. It doesn't matter who says I'm not, who says I am. It doesn't matter. 
All I know is Jesus said concerning me, you haven't chosen me, I've chosen you. I live in the reality that I became God's choice. When I realize I became God's choice, my life doesn't have to have its feet cut out from under me because man, I didn't become man's choice or somebody's choice. I'm God's choice. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. It'll keep you steady, come on, all through life and it won't cause you to be sidelined like David. You could go on. You see, it says, and David went on and grew great. Now, great does not mean name and lights. I don't like you put my face. That's my, that's, my face is big enough. That, I mean, I, don't put it that big up there. <laughs> doesn't mean that. Great actually means fruitfulness. That's what it means. David went on and grew to bearing the fruit of the seed that was in him. I want to say this. You grow fruitful. He didn't magically become fruitful. Fruitfulness is a result of growth and growth is a result of somebody that goes on. Okay? You can't stop and be fruitful. You can only go on and grow and be fruitful. I remember Moses Vey years ago said that he stopped at a town. I don't know where he was. I mean, he shared this in Boston years ago. And he asked somebody about this town. He said, has any great men been born here? And the person said, no, only babies. <laughs> only babies. We all start the same in that regard. We all have issues to deal with. We all have challenges. Everything. But David, just stay in the field, David. Now, David could have been in that field and allowed himself to get bitter against his brothers. He could have questioned God. But David just continued to be faithful. And then one day, Dad whistled. By the time he got in the house, the oil was on his head. He didn't make an issue of it. He didn't seethe over it. Seethe over it. He didn't become angry over it. He just went on. And he grew great. And he's walking in the plan of God. And the anointing of God is poured on him. There's this beautiful characteristic of David. It says in Ephesians 1:4, as according as he hath chosen us in him. Listen to this, I love this. Before the foundation of the world. Before I even knew he chose me. He cho chose me. He chose me. Before the foundation of the world. When Paul was a murderer, killing Christians left and right, throwing them in jail, why do you think that? He is the greatest preacher of grace in the New Testament. The man that was the law man became the grace man. Why is that? Because he said these words. God who called me by his grace and separated me from my mother's womb. He said during all those times I was slaughtering and I was killing. But I was in darkness. Not knowing that before from the womb God had already called me. And then one day on the road to Damascus grace came knocking at my door. Wow. Wow. Remember when grace came calling you? 
That's not when God chose you. He called you because He had already chosen you. And when you look at your past through the idea of God's sovereign selection, that He chose me, somehow the disqualification of what you feel will begin like a bird to sprout wings and fly away and you will become absorbed in the glory of His love. That while I was yet in sin, Christ died for me. And while I was so unlovely and ungodly, He commended His love toward me. When there was nothing about me that would have even attracted Him, He caused His love to be directed toward me. Wow. That'll heal you of all rejection for now and the rest of your life. How many know it all comes back to Jesus? It all comes back to Him. Let's go to the second test. 1 Samuel 17, 28. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that you might see the battle. Verse 29, David's response to his brother. What have I now done? Is there not a cause? The second test was misunderstood motives. Now notice Eliab was the one rejected. He was the one that Samuel was going to pour the oil on, remember? And God said, no, no, no. He said, for I have rejected him. Man looketh on the what? Outward, but I see the heart. Well, whatever that means, God says no. So I've got to believe Eliab only to be said, only to be invited to now step aside, son. And here comes his little ruddy-faced brother. And he sees the oil that he thinks should be on his head. And he sees the, hears the prophecy that he thinks should be with his name in it. And now David comes and, you know, Eliab said, David, who'd you leave those few sheep with? In other words, here we have a man trying to keep David back in something you know, of what he was when God was calling David to be something beyond that. You see, not everybody will celebrate your promise. Not everybody will celebrate your prophecy. Not everybody will believe about you what God says about you. And they will try to keep you back with where you've been all your life. And you're going to have a decision to make. Do I take man's commentary for my life, or do I go on? You can't pastor. You can't even do that. You can't do that. You can't prophesy. You can't preach. I just left Salem, Massachusetts last week, ministering with my dear friend Elias Cotita. Brother Cotita is a prophet from the country of Lebanon. And he testified when he received the word of the Lord. Uh, he came 1969 to the United States. 
couldn't even talk. He said, I couldn't even hardly speak English. And the word of the Lord is, you will prophesy the word of God. And the word of the Lord will flow out of your mouth. And right there, the devil said, how could you? This can't be true. Because you can't even speak. You're just a Lebanese and you can't speak. And today he goes all over, goes back to the Middle East. Four times last year, bringing the word of the Lord in English because Elias had to make a decision. God, you said it. I'm going to go on and believe it. Come on now. And today he's moving and flowing in what God has for him. Maybe it's not a language, but maybe there's something in your life that's a stutter. Maybe there's something in your life that every time you feel provoked by the Holy Ghost to move on, the enemy or the enemy uses somebody to highlight that thing. Go back. Go back. And David was misunderstood by Eliab. But let me tell you how David went on. Eliab wanted to make the issue David. And David said, it's not about me and it's not about you. There is a greater cause than the both of us. Is there not a cause? David says to his brother, he said, I'm here because there is a national cause. I'm here because God wants to do something. It's not about my life. It's not about my calling. It's not about your ministry. It is about what God is doing in the earth. And he said, that's what I'm preoccupied about. And this is what we, Life Church, I want you to know that God has called you more than ever before to reach out to other nations. God is going to use your pastor to be a doorway into new territory to bring life from the life church. I see teams going to other places and you will be an outlet to the international arm of this church. I'm prophesying now. There will be an outlet to the international arm of this church. And there are some of you hearing me now. Get your passport ready. Make sure it's up to date. You don't know it now, but one day you're going to leave Indianapolis and you're going to head for foreign soil and you're going to be sent out to bring good news and a caring heart to the hurting people of the world. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah to God. God's going to baptize this house with such a baptism for the world. Such a baptism for missions. It's going to be unbelievable. The day's going to come. You're not even going to believe how many missions you're going to support. How many outposts you're going to reach out to. God is going to fill the bosom and the heartbeat of this house with the greater cause in the earth. And so that you don't get caught up in little things that will keep you back. Somebody say, is there not a cause? I don't have time to get caught up in your division. I don't have time to get caught up in your little gossip. I don't have time to get caught up in all these little issues. I don't even have time to get caught up in the things in my life that don't make sense. I will not let it keep me back. There's a cause in America. And there's an awakening that needs to come. There's a church that needs to rise up. There's a generation that is hurting. There are homes that are broken. Come on. There's a nation that is spiraling downward out of control. There is a cause in this hour and we need to preach this gospel and we need to bring the good news and say there's hope in Jesus Christ hallelujah I don't understand there's things in my life I don't understand but I wasn't called to understand if God wants to give me understanding fine but whether I understand it or not he never said understand he said only believe 
Only believe. Only believe. I believe God wants the church to be baptized with the sense of His cause. We've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Come on now. This country is in the balance. I don't know if we will ever see an America like you grew up in. I don't know if that could ever be recovered. Who knows? But I knew though this, there's a harvest of souls that need to come to Christ. And there's a spiritual awakening that needs to invade this nation. From California to New York, from the Canadian border to the Mexico border. We need to see an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And it's not going to come from the clouds. It's going to come out of the hearts of the redeemed who love Jesus and who will share Christ. And who will serve the Lord. I've never seen such hopelessness in a generation. I, my heart breaks for the youth of this generation. There are more broken homes than there are together homes. And now they're going to have perverted homes with two mommies and two daddies. And everything that, says, that we always knew to be evil is toted for being okay. And things that we knew to be right is being toted for being, you know, just uh, out of step and out of vogue. And right is wrong and up is down. And we become twisted in our understanding. Why? Because as a nation, we wanted to keep God only in church on Sunday morning. We kicked Him out of school and we kicked them out of government and we and now we go to school and mothers don't know if their son when I went to school my mom was concerned whether I would English now mamas don't know if their son's gonna get shot in social studies that's what happens. God just says, you don't want me in school? Then have at it. It's going to be turned over to, to whatever it is you can do without my influence. You want to keep me in a sanctuary? But there is a people that will not just praise them on Sunday. They're going to bring them on the job. Bring them back in the home. Come on now. Is there not a cause? I want to speak to every one of you that have been on the sideline for far too long. You've been tripped up because of your life and because of the stuff you don't understand. It's time for you to get revived, get awakened. you got gifts, you got callings. Get back in the game and go on. Go on. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's go on. Come on, say it like you mean it. Let's go on. we got to go on. We got to go on. And David went on and grew great. Hey, he grew great. Hmm. Let me share something with you, little person, because you all been praying for my wife. This was just some time ago. My wife's in need of a miracle. She needs a miracle physically. My wife needs God to straighten out her crooked spine and to touch her body. She'd not been in church almost two years in July. Ever since she was a young girl leading the praises of God in meetings. We were just talking about how that in a... We had a thing called Jesus Loves New York. One of the front singers for nearly 25,000 people at Central Park. She sang a cappella. She sang in storefronts. She sang in crusades. She sang in... And now she hadn't been in church because she can't even hardly walk. And one day I was downstairs and I was ironing and I heard... 
her upstairs. The, my ceiling was her floor. And she's in an office and I hear singing, but not singing strong, but I can hear my wife singing. And I hear her singing and crying and singing and crying. Oh God, touch my wife. Lord, just minister to her. God, visit her heart. And I could just hear, but I don't hear any music. I just hear singing. And she was singing a song she always sang. It was like her signature song. He's been faithful. You know, when my heart lost its song, Remember that song, Brooklyn Tower? He's been faithful, faithful to me. She used to belt that out. It was like her anthem. And now I heard her squeaking it out. I could hear the quiver. I could hear the tears. So I go upstairs and I look and there she is, her head in her hands. She has earphones on and the music was in the computer. And I looked at her and I just threw the door and I said, Oh God, just touch her, minister to her. And I got in real slowly. I didn't want to scare her. Put my arm on her shoulder. She looked at me and I could see the tears. And I had nothing to say because she's facing quite a battle. But all I could say was this, Don't stop singing. Even if it's just for the audience of one. Some of your greatest worship will not be in front of man. It's going to be when you can't even get the words out. And you're interrupted by your own tears. And you think my voice isn't even as strong as it used to be. And what you are despising right now is a sweet smelling incense to your God. Because in the middle of your confusion, when you need a miracle... If you could still say like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I will bless him and I will worship when Job and a wind blew in his life. And everything that was precious to him was taken from livestock to children. And everything was gone. Even his wife couldn't understand. She said, curse God and die. He didn't have a friend in the world. And he just looked up, and the Bible says, and in all these things, Job worshipped. Worshipped. You know, it's easy to give praise when you got Mike Morgan on the organ, but when you got to give Job's praise. Come on. Come on. When you are besieged with confusion and pain. If you could still squeak out a song and say, He's been faithful, faithful to me when my heart has lost its song. And, and you could do that. I'm going to tell you what. The unseen choirs of heaven are standing at attention when that song comes from the mouth of a redeemed heart. You may not have a crooked spine, but you may be facing something pretty crooked in your life. You may need God to really touch something, and only He can do it. Don't lose your song. Sing through the tears. Squeak out another line. Because I'm here to tell you, and David, and grew great. You know why? Every step of the way. The Lord God of hosts was with him. Let's go to the last test. Is this all right this morning? You willing to stay in church just a little longer? The last test is probably the most difficult. And interestingly enough, the hardest test he ever faced 
was only three days before his breakthrough. And I've learned that sometimes the greatest battle is just before the change. Most people don't ever get the breakthrough because they give up too quickly, too early. 1 Samuel 30, 1 through 8, it's the Ziklag test. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south. And Ziklag and smitten Ziklag burned it with fire and had taken the women captives and were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire. The wives were gone. The sons were gone. Now listen to this. David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. How I many know oh, that's pretty deep? And David's two wives were taken captive. David was greatly distressed, verse 6, for the people now spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons, his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. Now watch this. David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, This is the Lord speaking. Read it with me. Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them. And say, read that part again. And what? Recover. Have you ever experienced the loss of something? It's the most difficult test of all. The loss of a job, loss of a loved one, loss of a marriage, loss of a dream, loss. This is the loss test. Everything that was precious to David. The enemy came in one night while David's out serving God. He's fighting another battle, the Lord's battle doing the will of God only to come home and find out nobody's there the enemy came in took his wives and kids and everybody and then burnt the field everything's just burnt there's no potential to rebuild there's not even a little something to work with it's a total loss and these men are looking because they were with David and they start saying it's all because of you because we followed you we're experiencing this difficulty. If I hadn't followed you, I would have been home with my wife. You were calling for commitment, and I obeyed, and now look at my life. And everything is lost, lost, lost. And they all wept until they had no more power to weep. Wow. They emptied themselves all the way out. But I'm going to tell you what, what I see in David. Because this is a man that knew how to keep going on. David prayed. And I never saw this before. Look at the prayer he prayed. Now, this is a man with loss. He's not praying a survival prayer. Oh, God, please bring back what lost. Now, listen what David prayed. He said, Lord, shall I pursue? Wow! I think something stirred in God's heart. David wasn't the victim in his mind. He didn't care. Everybody turned against him. 
don't know where his wives are, don't know where his kids are, doesn't know, everything is burnt, all the fields are gone, the smoke is still ascending. And the heart of this man gets with God. And he's not praying survival prayers. He's not praying victim prayers. He's saying, should I go get him? He's praying faith-filled prayers. Should I pursue and overtake him? God said, yeah, pursue. And you shall, without fail, recover everything. The loss test. The loss of a child. I still remember, as a young guy, I remember, you know, the first funeral I ever did was for uh, Sherry Ortiz. She was like an 18, 19-year-old girl, had gotten pregnant and lost a little baby. First funeral I ever did. And I'll never forget. I thought the funeral was bad. Is it Ortiz? Sherry? Sherry? Yeah, yeah. And I'll never forget. I thought the funeral was bad. Like, God, what do you say? She was so broken up over this infant that died. Then we went to the burial site. We go to the burial site. To this day, I could still hear a cry that came from her. It was like a scream. And they had a little coffin there. My first funeral. And I thought, oh, God, what words can I say? I was so young. She's so young. Because what she was facing is absolutely unnatural for a child to die before their parents. It's a perversion of natural order. That's not supposed to happen. I remember when my grandmother lost my dad's oldest brother, her son, her firstborn. And I remember the sorrow of my grandmother. I'll never forget going to that funeral in the Bronx. I'll never forget how it impacted my grandmother because he was supposed to outlive his mother. And she looks into the coffin at the life that came out of her body. And now she's got to say goodbye and bury him into the ground. Loss. Some people never recover from loss. But you know what David did? He went on. He couldn't make sense of that loss. He said, God, why did this happen? He wasn't questioning God. How come I was fine? He just said, okay, I got loss. But I know a God that could do things. And he's miraculous. And I'm going to connect with that God. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be what I think it's going to be. But I know one thing. I'm not going to die in a burnt field. I'm going to talk to God and say, should I go on? God said, go on. And he grew great. Two days later, David went on and walked right into the throne. Two days later. Going from everything burnt and lost to going on and going right into the throne and the fulfillment of a prophecy he waited for for 15 years. Amazing. Some of you might be there. It's very difficult. There's so many tests, and we can go on and on. I just took these three, but we can go on and on concerning tests. You know one of the greatest tests? Some don't even recover. Loss, betrayal. I've been a pastor long enough to sit with those marriages rocked by betrayal. Some have never recovered. I have a few stories where there were, but some never. It's a, because it's not about forgiveness. It's about rebuilding trust. It's a journey. Some can't make the journey. I think about David. David, 
I think about that. You know, he wrote a psalm. I'm going to end with this. Psalm 55. One. So, 2 Samuel 16, 23. Remember when David's son Absalom, talk, talk about a test. His son was stealing away the hearts from his father. Hated his father. Wanted to see his father destroyed and turned a whole movement against his father. David, they bring word that Ahithophel, David's counselor, went with Absalom. David goes, oh God, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into a fool. We're sunk because it says that Ahithophel spoke as an oracle of God. When David didn't know which way to go, he would adjourn the meeting but ask Ahithophel to stay. Let's walk, Hithophel. What do you think? Should we pursue? Should we go on this battle? What do you sense? I sense we need to do it, King. He was his trusted guide. So much so that when he went and joined himself, a man that had such wisdom, how could he get caught up with an Absalom spirit? How could he be taken in to this, to this spirit that's so wrong and yet this wise counselor was prey to get caught up in this twisted act of Absalom and be part of a movement of rebellion. A man that's so insightful. A man that's got wisdom by the gift of God. How could he have not seen this? This killed David in his heart. He wrote this in Psalm 55. For if it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was a man my equal, my guide, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. David said if it was an enemy, no problem. How many know you can never be betrayed by an enemy? Because there's no expectations in the relationship. You could only be betrayed by those you love. Because there are expectations in the relationship. So David said, look, I have faced my share of enemies. If it was an enemy, he said, so what? I would have hid myself. I would have known what's coming. He said, but it was a man. We kept company in the house of God. We took sweet counsel. He was my guide. He was my friend. And when his heart turned, he said, my heart could hardly bear it. See, Ahithophel, he couldn't get over his challenge because you know who his son was? Eliam. You say, well, who's Eliam? Eliam had a daughter, and her name was Bathsheba. Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. Ahithophel and David were best friends. And David raped his granddaughter. You know the story of David and Bathsheba. They didn't have some salacious, you know, relationship. David got her. And she didn't want to be with him. That as soon as he was done with her, she got up and went back home. And he, by his power, got hold of her. That's why she doesn't receive any judgment from a prophet. Only David. Thou art the man. Thou 
forth the man. Even She's even in the, the, the genealogy of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Because she gave birth to Solomon. And you know how the Holy Spirit writes the, in the genealogy? It says, and Solomon, which was born of her who was Uriah's wife. Wow. Wow. David had just gone down so deep. And I could just see Grandpa. Man, I've counseled this. And it was seething. Unforgiveness. Even after David repented. And David is the picture of repentance. Psalm 51. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. God accepted the man's forgiveness, but Ahithophel couldn't. And a little unforgiveness becomes a root of bitterness. And before you know it, when you become bitter, it begins to pervert your judgment. You're not able to make wise decisions because it begins to contaminate your mind and your understanding. And a man that spoke the counsel of God because he didn't go on became buried and killed and destroyed with Absalom when he should have continued to live with David. But the fact is, he couldn't go on because of a root in his heart. Was it justified? I can understand. what You can't stop what's done to you, but you can determine what you allow it to do to you. I said you can't stop what's done to you, but you, could de you will determine what you allow it to do to you. Say with me, and David went on, David went on and, grew great, and grew great, for the Lord God of hosts was with him.